I'm live here. If you're in person, you got to see my dance moves. That's the best I got while that bumper video was going. For those of you in the interweb, sorry, another time, another time. Well, hey, I am so honored to be able to be in the pulpit and preach this week. Uh, it's a pleasure to continue the series where we're talking about truths for then are the truths for today, going through uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And oftentimes we'll have kids out here. I'm not sure that I can see through these bright lights a lot of kids, but I love it when kids are in the services. It's enjoyable to me because Allison mentioned we have three kids and the fourth one due in just a couple months. Um, if it goes beyond a couple months, my wife is going to go absolutely crazy because she's ready for that baby to be out, um, but soon we'll have four. So if there are kids that come in or they're in the back that I can't see, um, I love that you're here. Please feel free to make sounds, to crinkle things, um, to shout out amen if you want. That's great. And we actually have things for some kids. I know sometimes with my kids, their fingers get a little bit fidgety and they need something to do. So there's some things out by the formerly known as coffee table. We have little individual bags of the classic church snack, which would be, who knows? Goldfish, you got it. That's right, for kids out back. And we also have some kind of invisible marker coloring things so you can't mark on our carpets, but you can mark on the book. Or something called paint by stickers. It's mind-blowing. So if you are under 10, you can get one. If you're like 110, you can still get one. If you're in between, then you're not allowed, sorry. But if you're a kid, you can, so. Anywho, let's, let's jump in. So my dad called me crazy, probably more than once, but once to my face, and it wasn't a bad thing, but he said, you're crazy. You're crazy, David. And I was 25 years old. I had graduated from college. I had some student loans I probably should have been paying, um, but I had told my parents that I felt this compelling in my heart um, that God was leading me to be a part of what he was doing somewhere internationally. And at first I was like, nah, I don't I don't think so, God. But he kept on drawing my heart. And I said, oh, man, that's, that's crazy. Um, but he prompted my heart, and I spoke a little bit of Spanish. And so I was like, okay, God, I, I will go wherever you lead me. And I wasn't feeling it was like going to be a week or two, but it was going to be like a year, a longer term thing. So I said, God, I'll, I'll go anywhere you want, except I'm, I'm just, for whatever reason, I'm not feeling China. I don't speak Chinese. I don't understand characters. My extent of Chinese food up to that point had been uh, the Safeway Chinese Express. That's not um, but it's not really Chinese food. Anyway, not very broad experience. So I was praying about it, and God closed a number of doors and ultimately opened one door, and that door was to, yes, of course, why not? Thanks, God. So to China. Okay. Okay, God, I, I knew one family in China. I couldn't say hello in Chinese. I didn't know much of anything, but God, this is crazy. But I'll pack my bag. I got on the plane. I remember that plane taking off from San Francisco. I was looking out the window and I could see the land of the United States kind of disappearing and turning into ocean. And here we go. And about one minute later, I said, oh, good Lord, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? This is crazy. This is crazy. What am I doing? Well, Paul, Paul wrote the letter to the Thessalonians. We've been teaching that for the last couple of weeks. Paul is crazy. I don't know if you knew that. Paul is one crazy guy. He's been preaching about Jesus and calling people to trust in Jesus as the Son of God, the atonement for their sins. And this is crazy by the world's standards. He was up in Philippi, if the map's up on the screen there. He was up in Philippi before he gets to Thessalonica and had been preaching for a while. And people got so agitated that they bound him up and threw him in jail. He was finally let go. It's an amazing story. Go back to Acts 16 and 17 if you want to read it. And he was set free from jail, and they kind of asked him to leave town. Now, if I had been in China, and they threw me in jail, and then they let me out of jail, 
I probably would have been like, okay, see you later, China. I'm out of here. But not Paul. This guy is crazy. What does he do? He doesn't go home. He goes down the road a little bit through a couple towns and he ends up in Thessalonica. He's there for just probably three weeks preaching, telling people about Jesus. And a mob kind of gets together, the, the Jews who don't like what he's teaching. And Paul is ushered out in the middle of the night with his preaching partners. Another person named Jason was jailed and eventually let go. So of course now Paul's going to, of course, go home, right? No, Paul is crazy. He goes down the road 45 miles away to Berea. He starts preaching there. And the mob follows him to Berea. And he has to flee from Berea and he ends up down in Athens, down in Greece. And it's from there where he's writing his letter back to the church in Thessalonica. He only preached with them for maybe three weeks. So they're a young church. And he's preaching to them and preaching in Athens. He's just crazy in how much he is trusting and moving in the prompting of the Lord. So he's writing back to them and he's encouraging them in this letter in 1 Thessalonians. If you're a Bible, grab it. We'll jump into it in just a little bit. But in the first chapter, Brian had shared a couple of weeks ago, he's encouraging them in the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. He's encouraging them from a parental perspective that Allison had shared as, as like a mother and a father, encouraging them along the way. And he's going to continue to teach them as we get into chapter 4 here what it means to be crazy. And that's what sanctification is. It's a big theological bomb. But sanctification is living crazy in the eyes of the world. If we follow the Holy Spirit into this sanctification, we may very well lose in this world, in the eyes of this world, by the measuring stick of this world. But that's not the right measuring stick. Let's pray and we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, I am so honored to be able to teach and preach your word. God, I pray that your word would come alive. God, that the word that you gave us in the Bible is your truth, then, now, and always, and that as we teach it, we learn from it. Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts to prompt what you're putting into our minds to come down to a heart that we might live it out to be your hands and your feet. Jesus, your name might be proclaimed, that people might come to you in faith and trust you, and Lord, that we might live out a life where we become more like Christ honoring you and glorifying you along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so sanctification, big theological word. <clears throat> Let's get a quick definition for it. So I grabbed this out of one of the study Bibles I enjoy using, and here's the definition, sanctification. The process by which God's Holy Spirit transforms believers' thoughts, motives, and behavior to conform to the holiness of Christ himself. Holiness being purity, separation from sins, defilements, being set apart, being different. So the process by which God's Holy Spirit transforms our thoughts, motives, and behaviors to be set apart or different like Christ. Okay, I'm reading out of the ESV today. The first section's up on the screen. We're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3. And here we go. Paul's writing to the church up there and he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I'm going to pause there. So who are these believers Paul's writing to? It's important that we understand their perspective and how they might have understood this concept of maybe sanctification. Because um, 
what was the world what was the worldview that they were coming from paul was urging them to view it differently in light of who jesus was he was proposing something really that's that's quite crazy so first of all there's the jewish christians there was a jewish church in thessalonica and there were the jewish christians there that would have understand this concept of sanctification from what we would see in the old testament they understood that there was a need for cleansing and for cleaning they understood that sin had separated them from a holy god that God is holy and perfect in his being. And if sin were in the presence of God, that would no longer make God holy and perfect. That's why we as fallen people, as sinful people, cannot in our sinful state be with God for eternity. There was a rip that came in Genesis where we got ripped apart from that relationship with God. So they would have understood that separation and that need for an atonement. Um, But in the Old Testament, that was done primarily at the temple. The priests had to be all dressed in the perfect robe and had to have perfect skin and had to have nothing wrong with them. And they went into the temple where they would offer these sacrifices over and over and over as atonement for the sin that had happened. It was really kind of an outside-in focus of sanctification. We're going to cleanse on the outside and follow all of the rules that we might honor God. But the primary location for the sanctification actions was in the temple. And then secondly, in Thessalonica, you had... Gentile believers. So they were not Jewish. They came from a background that, as we saw in here, was probably primarily focused on worshiping idols of various sorts, maybe sun sun god, moon god, harvest god, idols that they would carve. But the idea of what do we do here was probably much more for them the earning favor in hopes of a good outcome. So I'm going to do the right things or offer something to these idols, to these other gods, in hopes that I earn favor, that I'm in a good position and somehow to, to be done. So that might have been their concept of sanctification. But it is crazy what Paul is teaching them from that perspective. He's teaching that Jesus' atonement has exploded this understanding of sanctification. It had been outside in. You had to earn to be saved in so many ways. But Jesus blew that up. He arrived as the perfect atonement for all sin, for all time, for all that placed their faith in him. And there is nothing that we can do to subtract or to add to that. That was crazy. And it's by his work that we are first saved. It is by the atoning work of Jesus. There was a separation from God. And Jesus is the one that was the perfect atonement and did all of that and calls us to put our faith in him. And it has nothing to do with our activities or actions. We cannot earn it. We cannot make our salvation better. We cannot enhance it and we cannot lose it. When, Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, our salvation is guaranteed. So Paul is saying that is done. Now the question on sanctification is how do we live out that which is that we have been given, that has been the gracious gift from the Lord Jesus. So in verse number one, when he says the ought to walk and to please Jesus, he's talking in response to knowing that we are saved, not to earn it, not to keep it, not to stay in good favor. Don't get me wrong. There is an obedient posture There's an obedient posture that we take, but it's not so that we can be saved. It's in response to because we have been saved that we move from justification, salvation, into how do we live out sanctification, becoming more like Christ. So when Paul's talking about sanctification, he's saying, now that you are secure for eternity by Christ's work, now, how do you live? Don't you see, friends? 
our lives have entirely different meaning when we understand that. We will seem absolutely crazy to the world when they look at us. The things that become important that we put effort into and the things that we are willing to not care about at all, they're going to seem crazy to the world. Let's move into verse 3 through 6. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, and as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. That hurts. That hurts for a lot of people when they hear it. I know it hurts. There have been so many that have been affected, either involved in a relationship that has been ripped apart by that behavior. Maybe they're a kid in a family that has been ripped apart and that family has been fractured because of that. So if we're pursuing sanctification, being more Christ-like, why is this particular thing so called out by Paul. I'm going to move to 1 Corinthians. It's not up on the screen, but I'll read it to you if you have your Bible, open it up. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. He expands on this topic a little bit more, and I think it's helpful for us today. So 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's crazy different to the world. That's not their perception and understanding that we are the temple that the Holy Spirit dwells in. We're crazy for thinking that. You guys right here, you are crazy. Over here, you're crazy. Those people back there, crazy. The people out in the lobby who aren't paying attention to me, they're crazy too. You're all crazy for believing that in the eyes of the world. But sanctification used to be in the old temple, remember? Sanctification happened in the old temple. And we're hearing that we are the temple. We are secure in eternity forever, justified by Jesus Christ. We are now the temple. And I would say that there's part of this, when Paul calls out this behavior, where we see that there's fracturing of this relationship. We see so much through the Bible and the New Testament that the church is the bride of Christ. If we had time, I would just exhaust your emotions by going from Genesis through Revelation and talking about how the relationship that God has with his people mirrors or is a reflection of the marriage relationship. So when we see a marriage ripped apart by this behavior, it gives us an image and understanding of how we were ripped apart from God in sin and why it causes so much pain. And that's why Paul is so solemnly warning them. And not just here in First Thessalonians, but in all different epistles that he's writing, we see it over and over and over again about his caution and his warning about abstaining and fleeing from fornication and sexual immorality and those behaviors. But our worldview is now different with Christ. We don't need to win by the world's standards. In fact, if we are crazy in our pursuit of sanctification by the world's standards, we very well may lose on the standards of what this world is saying is important in this life, but that's by the world's standards. That's not God's standards. So he's addressing this behavior and how it 
tears apart. And he's warning and cautioning because he knows that there's something deep and painful in there that reverberates so much. And he gives them that caution saying, we need to be crazy in sanctification. We are going to look crazy. We're not looking to what the world says is okay, but we're looking to Christ. We're going to come to that in verse seven. So let's jump to verse seven. For God has called, sorry, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Pause right there. God has called us for holiness, to be set apart, to be different. The world says, hey, do what's best for you. The world says, you deserve to be happy, even if it's at the expense of some other people. The world says, hey, get what you can now, get it in this world, collect what you need. The world says, hey, your truth is true for you. This is not what we read here. We will look crazy to the world when we pursue sanctification. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit transforming our thoughts, motives, and behavior to conform to the holiness of Christ. In that previous context, the world might say, you know, if you're married, but you're just not feeling it, you're not really in love anymore, then you know what? You do you. Just go, you know, it's, well, it's okay. It's no big deal. That is not, that is not what we learn in the word of God. God says there is a special covenant in marriage that should not be broken and has caused so much pain, so much pain. Verse eight, therefore, whoever disregards this instruction disregards not man, certainly not me or Paul, but disregards God who gives us his Holy Spirit. There's a reality, friends, that we have a comforter in the Holy Spirit. We have a teacher in the Holy Spirit. He is with us. We are the temple, remember. He dwells in our soul. That is crazy. And he yearns to change us day by day to conform to the holiness of Christ. We are going to look crazy to the outside world if we are living this out. The Holy Spirit will lead us into sanctification in tough and pruning ways. There are many stories that everyone has about how God prunes them and it can be very painful to move into, through that sanctification process, becoming more like Christ. And it can, uh, so it will lead us into comforting and consoling ways to make us more like Christ eventually. But we have the Lord with us always, and this is a crazy understanding to the world, but it is what Jesus told his disciples and what Paul is preaching here to the Thessalonian church. Okay, verses 9 through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you need, I'm sorry, let me go back. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Up on that map, Macedonia was a whole region. So he's not just saying they were in their city, but it's throughout all of the region. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So the Thessalonian church was clearly impacting the region. This is not from Paul a call that they would be hermits or they would like go up to some cabin in a mountain and never interact with anyone, although cabins and mountains can be fun. But that's not what he's calling them to here. He wants them to, know, to be known in their region for being crazy for the right reasons. As they walked through sanctification, their worldview looks very different than everyone else's worldview. 
If we have our faith and our confidence in Christ and we are walking through being led by the Holy Spirit in this process of sanctification, of being different and changed, our motives are changed. We are not concerned with, am I going to win in this life? In fact, we, again, very well may lose by the perspectives of the world in this life, but we have an eternal perspective. Our life is changed. If I, for some reason, have friction with my wife in marriage, I don't say, I'm going to leave, as he was addressing earlier. No, I have a covenant before the Lord. I am in it for life. That is what God has called me to, and there is something unique in marriage about that as he's addressing back in verses 4 and 5 and 6. But he is calling them to be like this more and more. We saw that in the end of that verse number 10. Brothers, do this more and more. So four principles, and then we'll have some applications and and wrap it up here. So principle number one, sanctification is incremental and it is never ending. The more and the more. Sanctification is not a process that starts. I am, my salvation is secure through the justification of the Lord Jesus, big theological terms. I'm in the sanctifying process through life. It is incremental and it is my entire life. I don't all of a sudden at one point say, oh, I've read the Bible all the way through. I prayed a lot. I'm sanctified. Check. Time to retire. It's not the way it goes. And it's not rapid all of the time. There will be rapid moments, but it's incremental, step by step and for life. Sanctification is, number two, sanctification is only possible by the proactive work of the Holy Spirit, yet also demands our obedience and participation. So we've seen here that the sanctification process, becoming more like Christ, being different in the name of Christ, changing our behaviors, is possible by the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is not me leading and doing all those things and the Holy Spirit just kind of nudging my back a little bit from time to time but it's the Holy Spirit drawing us and prompting us and us participating in obedience. It need, the Lord needs us to participate. He calls us to participate. So number two is it's possible by the proactive work and demands our participation. Principle three, sanctification is hard at times and joyous at times. There are times in life where all of us have had the hard times. There are times when We have made choices that call our character into question. And the process of moving through sanctification in those steps may be embarrassing or humiliating. We may have moments of self-loathing. But the good news is Christ is in the business of being a redeemer and a restorer and a perfecter by his work that's already done on the cross. The Holy Spirit will lead us, but it demands our participation. And then there will be, sanctification will be joyous at times. There's times where we are becoming more like Christ and we're moments of celebration, we're worshiping, we're fellowshipping, we're sharing the word and it will be joyous and that is also part of God's sanctifying process. Fourth point, sanctification leads to the fruits of the spirit. This is in Galatians chapter five. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Did I get them all? I think so. Uh, as a child, um, at my house, my parents had this, like, it was like stitched, not crocheted, but some sort of stitching, and it listed all the fruits of the Spirit, and they had it on a wall. And, you know, very close to that wall was something they called the behaving chair. This is where, as a young kid, you might go if you misbehaved. I think it's safe to say that I spent more than a few minutes in the behaving chair, and so <laughs> those were instilled into my brain. That's why I can rattle them off so quickly as I stared at them. But sanctification will lead to the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Okay, last section. What are some applications for us? How do we put this into practice? So number one, um, faith in Jesus. You know, for some people, perhaps in this room, perhaps on the interwebs listening, you were drawn to be a part of this, to hear something about the Bible. Your heart is softened. I don't know if it's because someone invited you, because you just felt inclined, you did some sort of search on the internet, or you heard I was speaking and you wanted to see if that would mess up. I don't really know. But you're here. God has softened your heart. And if you are here listening and you are feeling in your soul that there's something about Jesus that you're missing that you need to learn more of, if God is peeling away the scales from your eyes, faith in Jesus. You are here because he has called you to be here. Christ is reaching out to you. He has done the work. But it's time for you to put your faith in Christ. So if that is you, and that's what is going to be the first step for you, come meet me while we're worshiping. Email in and talk to one of our staff. They would love to talk with you. But if your heart is being drawn, it's because God is drawing your heart and he wants you. He wants you in his family that your salvation might be secure forever by the work of Christ, that he might begin the process of sanctification in your life. But your salvation is eternally secure in the work that Christ did. Number two is study and pray. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us through the process of sanctification, but God gave us this. He gave us his word. There are lots of things in here. If the extent of your studying is that you read a verse a day or a verse a week posted in your bathroom or kitchen, then you're missing out, missing out so much on what the Lord wants to teach you. The Holy Spirit, God gave us this that we might put it into our mind, that the Holy Spirit might draw what we have learned in our heart, that we can apply it to our life, that we can walk through the process of sanctification led by the Holy Spirit that we might end up glorifying God with our lives. But if you don't study this, it's hard for the Holy Spirit to use this and for you to check to see, are my thoughts really in line with what's right to God? I think I should do this. This is my truth. Does your truth line up with God's truth? Study and pray. We're starting groups in a week, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So sign up for a group that's studying the Bible. If that doesn't fit into your schedule for some reason, the groups don't line up. Bible Study Fellowship is a multi-church effort about studying the Bible chapter by chapter. If our groups here don't line up with your schedule, Bible Study Fellowship is a wonderful thing. John Oconee actually leads the men's group in Woodenville. There are places to study the Bible. Woo, I got one woot. There we go. It's probably from Allison about her husband, John. Woo, there we go. Talk about that guy. He's great. Okay, pray, study and pray. So I stole this from a sermon from a late pastor, R.C. Sproul. He was talking about prayer to his church, and he challenged his church to pray. And I'm going to adapt it a little bit and modify it, and I'm going to call it the 3-5-10 challenge. So what if we prayed for three minutes a day every day of one week, and then the second, time, second week we pray for five minutes a day every day for one week, and then the third week we pray for 10 minutes a day every day for a week? Get your cell phone out, put it on airplane mode, turn off the Wi-Fi, no one's going to call you. Set a timer for three minutes, and when it goes beep, 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 that's what mine does. I don't know what your phone does, but when it makes that really painful sound that you have to wake up in the morning, the same one, pray for three minutes every day of the week, five minutes every day of the week, ten minutes every day of the week. I will bet you that at the end of the third week, when it's chiming at the end of the ten minutes, you're saying, I'm not done praying. There are more things God has put on my heart. There are more things I want to submit to God, more things I want to praise God about. I challenge you. Study and pray. Third application, be honest. Where in your life, in your job, would you be crazy Would people look at you and say, you are crazy for doing the things that you are doing, but you are crazy doing things that have eternal significance. 
So in my job, I meet with clients, maybe hundreds of clients over the course of my career. It would be a little bit crazy for me to be more open about my faith with Jesus proactively with my clients when they ask me, how's it going? How was your weekend? They want to get to know me a bit. That's just how I interact with my clients. Instead of waiting to find out if they're a believer so I have a safe conversation, for me it would be a little more crazy to share the gospel with them when there's an opportunity to be more forthcoming. But if I run my entire career and I've never shared the gospel with even a single client, what have I done that makes sense in this world? But this world, I want to say that I'm crazy because I'm sharing the good news of Jesus with people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. And I hope that one day my kids blow my mind with how crazy they are. I hope that as a parent, my kids come to me and my wife and they say, Dad, we want to go, I want to go do this mission trip. God is calling me here. And I hope I'm going to be the one telling my kid, you're crazy, in a good way. You're crazy. But I hope that my kids, as we teach them and, and encourage them, that they grow to be crazy people who seek to glorify God and become more like him every day. So where would it be crazy in your life and your job to do things of eternal significance? Last one. We need to reject the lies that the world wants to tell us. <clears throat> Paul talks in chapter 2 about feeling that Satan was hindering him from getting back up to the Thessalonians. And he talks in chapter 3 about being concerned that the tempter wanted to pull them away and he was unsure where their faith was at. There is a reality that Satan and the tempter wants to pull us away from honoring God, wants to pull us out of the process of sanctification that we might be hindered and not make steps towards being more like Christ. Wanting us to believe your truths of the world at the expense of the truth of Christ. We need to reject it and we need to flee where appropriate and we need to not live life saying, how close can I get to the fire before I get burned? First Corinthians, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. We are all part of God's eternal family when we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. So let us follow the Holy Spirit on the journey of sanctification to look crazy to the world, to become more like Christ. May the world call us crazy. Let's pray.